Galatians chapter 4 and just reading verses 1 through verse 7. It's now to the reading of God's holy word. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore... You are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do praise You and thank You for Your word to us. We thank You that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life, and as we come to this passage and consider this topic of adoption. We pray that you would help us to see the truth that is here and to see uh, the glorious blessing and benefit it is uh, for us. And we just praise you and thank you for revealing this truth to us in your word. And so we just pray that you would be with us, that you bless uh, your word as it goes forth this evening. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, here in Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul begins to really get to the heart of what's often referred to as the Galatian controversy. Uh, That controversy involved the imposition of the Old Testament law, and especially uh, the right of circumcision upon believers, regardless of whether they're Jewish or Gentile converts. Now, Paul had already made the argument in chapter 2 that were justified by faith and not by the works of the law. And then in chapter 3, he illustrates this point by showing that Abraham was justified by faith in the promise of God and not by the law. And not only that, but since God promised that Abraham's seed would be a blessing to the Gentiles, that all those who walk in Abraham's faith are to be considered true sons of Abraham, both Jew and Gentile. And then he ends chapter 3 with the expression of unity that regardless of one's gender and ethnicity or station in life, that we're all one in Christ if we share that same faith. And therefore, we all have equal access to the blessed promise and inheritance that was promised to Abraham and which has been secured for us in Jesus Christ. And that great inheritance isn't the law or the need to continually abide by the law and its requirements. But as Paul argues now in chapter 4, that that inheritance is sonship. That is, because of Christ's work on the cross on our behalf, all those who believe in Him are not only redeemed from the law and its curse, but receive the adoption as sons, as he says in uh, verse 5, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 
And so our adoption into the family of God frees us from slavery to sin. And since we're now sons of the King, we're given the right and the privilege to receive the blessed inheritance that Christ has secured for us, even eternal life. And as we'll see this evening, the doctrine of adoption is one of the most blessed doctrines of Scripture as it marks our removal from slavery to sons of the King and Creator of all the universe. And as we saw a couple weeks ago with justification, adoption is also an act of God. That is, it's all about what God has done for us rather than what we do for God. And this is the obvious truth because of those who were spiritually dead in their sins that we are unable in our own nature to act or to do any good thing. And we see again this in the garden. When God first created Adam and Eve, there was great unity and fellowship, even as you might have in a family. But when Adam and Eve sinned, They rebelled against God, the Heavenly Father, and instead of continuing to pursue fellowship with Him, in shame, they hid themselves when He sought them out. Well, this then marked the division that sin brought to the family relationships, and then later confirmed when God, of course, banished them from the garden and ultimately from His own holy presence. No longer sons... Adam and Eve and all their posterity after them would become slaves to sin, unable to do any good work. But in adoption, God acts, and as we saw with justification, adoption is also an act of God's free grace, as it's rooted in His own abounding character of love, mercy, and grace that He pours out on the undeserving sinners. Because of our sin... We were undeserving enemies of God, but because of what Christ accomplished for us, we're now adopted by God by His own gracious act. And this is, of course, implied in the very term adoption. Right? This term it tells us that a choice has been made by God to bring us into a familiar relationship with Him. And if you think about it, a couple might visit an orphanage and they would choose a child that they would wish to adopt. Well, God graciously and freely chooses us and adopts us. And we see this adoptive choice uh, connection in Ephesians 1, where Paul says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So God's adoption of us was part of His predetermined plan set before the foundation of the world. And God's sovereign decree or choice of election was to adopt us as sons. And again, all this was by His free and abounding grace. Paul also says in Romans 9, saying, For the children not yet being born, here he's using Jacob and Esau as an example, of God's decree of election. For the children not yet being born, not, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of Him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And this shows God's sovereign choice in choosing Jacob over Esau. It was all of His grace, not even based upon the works of 
of these uh, children even before they were born. So we didn't choose to be in the family of God. God graciously has chosen us to save us, to adopt us, to call us as sons and receive the blessing of His grace. Indeed, as we contemplate this, it's a very humbling thought. And we may wonder, why me? But before we think of our own merits, again, we remember that He chose those who couldn't and wouldn't choose Him at all. So God graciously chooses us in adoption. Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 12, paragraph 1, says this regarding adoption. It says, All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number. Now we may wonder, what number is that? Well, it's the number of the great many of people throughout all generations who have been redeemed by God through Jesus Christ and have been adopted into this glorious family. So it's not just a small family. This is a very large family that we've been adopted into. Those who are received into the number are the true sons of God through faith. And this number includes the saints of the Old Testament, the saints of the New Testament, and every generation since who are the true people of God. And so we're part of God's universal family. Indeed, what a great blessing it is. Often when you're, maybe when you're traveling somewhere and you're just going about your daily business and you meet a fellow a believer in Christ, and oftentimes there's this instant connection with that individual Maybe you didn't even know them before, but you didn't even know them before, but there's a connection, an intimate bond and of love and unity because of your common faith in Christ. But when you sense that, you're actually acknowledging that you're counted together in that great number, that you're all part of the same family of God. But we need to be careful here. Because it's been popular for some time, especially among various broad ecumenical movements, to speak of the universal brotherhood of man and the universal fatherhood of God. Now certainly in the sense that we were just talking about, yes, all believers across the globe, throughout all generations, we are the family of God, that there is this brotherhood that we enjoy. It's also true... In the sense of the fact that as our Creator, God is our Father. And He's the Father of all humanity. As the special creature created after His own image and descended from our first parents, Adam and Eve. So all humanity really is kinfolk. And Paul makes this point in his presentation before the Athenian philosophers in Acts 17. He says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And so we're all from one blood, from one Adam. And so yes, in that sense, all men are brothers. And we're to love and respect them as such, as fellow image bearers and those who are created in the image of God. But the way in which ecumenicists will use this brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God is false. Again, though it's true, as Paul says in in Athens, 
For uh, to, in Him we live and move and have our being, as also from some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Right. This is uh, so because God created us that even the pagan a Greek poet understood this. But God the Heavenly Father is not the Abba of all that we speak of when we speak of the doctrine of adoption. We remember that Adam's sin alienated the entire human race from God. And that those who remain in that sin and who reject the gospel and what Christ accomplished on the cross, that these sinful ones aren't the children of God in the way that believers are the children of God. In fact, they're actually children of the devil. And this is the harsh reality that Jesus makes known to the religious leaders who rejected Him and and thus rejected the Heavenly Father who sent Him. Jesus says in John 8, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And then John again makes the distinguishing point in 1 John 3.10 saying, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, that whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brothers. And so unbelievers and those who reject the gospel are still slaves to sin and of the devil. They're a part of the seed of the serpent, They are not of the sons of God and the seed of the promise. Now ultimately we know that there is only one begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so it's only through Christ then that we're able to be adopted and and join in God's family. And Jesus boldly declares in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so we must believe in Jesus, and we must rest in His work alone for our salvation. If we're to, put, or to be a part of the true, everlasting family of God, we must come to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, and it's that way alone. Now this is what we now turn our attention to. As sinful creatures in a rebellion against our Creator... Well, how are we then adopted into the family of God? Well, again, it's only through the work of Jesus Christ. Again, consider what Paul says in Galatians 4, verse verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. It was Christ's atonement on the cross and His victory over sin and death at the resurrection that has removed the blockade that made us alienated from God. The Spirit of God now makes this adoption possible to those who believe. Again, uh, John 1 verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so being born of the Spirit through conversion 
is the same as being born of God. That is, we're adopted into God's family. Now, when does this happen? Well, as we noted, adoption is an act of God. It's not a process like we would have to endure if we went and adopted a child. No, it's an act. It happens at a particular point in time. Now, we know that it can't happen before we're justified. That is, it can't happen before we're made right with God. Because the unrighteousness, or the, un, or the unrighteous, have no part in the family of God. And it's often difficult to speak of the timing of God's decrees, and the best that we can do is, is kind of just think of the logical order. Right, again, God is infinite, and we're just finite creatures. So we just kind of focus on what is the, the logical order, rather than the specific timing of these things. And so it would possibly be something like this. We become regenerate by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are then converted to newness of life. And because of our faith in Christ, we're then declared justified. And remember, justification, that declaration is a legal uh, declaration. And it's almost as if at the same judicial hearing, where we're pardoned of our sin and justified in God's sight because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the judge now declares also that we're adopted by Him, by God, the Father, into His holy family. And so the reality, though, is that, of course, from our perspective, all this is going to seem rather instantaneous. But that would be somewhat of the, the logical order of things, that we're, uh, we're renewed, we're justified, and then we are adopted uh, into the family of God. But the effect of this adoption is permanent. That is, it's continuous. When we're adopted into God's family, we're there for good. Remember, Jesus says in John 10, assuring His disciples, My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. And so as sons, we're held fast in the Father's hands. No one can snatch us out. Well, how do we know then that we've been adopted into the family of God? Who lets us know? Well, this is the continued work of the Holy Spirit now working in us. It's through the Spirit that we're made conscious or aware of our adoption into the family of God. Paul says this in Galatians 4, verse 6, uh, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And then to the Romans, uh, Paul also writes something similar, Romans 8.16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the Spirit of God bears witness within us to confirm to us that we truly are children of God. And as we read God's Word and make use of the means of grace and as we grow in our faith, the Spirit works to affirm our sonship as we become more like the Father and more like His most beloved Son, Jesus. And we already mentioned that we're received into the number. That is, we join the host of believers, making up the invisible and universal church or the family of God. And that our faith in Christ unites us together as one family. First John 5 John says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him, who begot also loves Him, 
who is begotten of him. Now, as sons, we also receive all rights and privileges belonging to a son of the king. Paul says in Galatians 4 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Note how Christ is our brother, as it as it's though uh, through him that our adoption is made possible. And Jesus promised this blessing to his disciples when he said in Mark 3, that here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus was identifying those who were of His family. Those who faithfully serve and worship the Lord. Now as sons of God, and as brothers of Christ, we also become joint heirs with Christ. That is, heirs to a glorious eternal inheritance. Paul says in Romans 8.17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. As sons, we also receive not only this uh, blessing of being in God's family, but we also receive this perfect fatherly affection. This is both awe-inspiring. 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Right? We think about the love of God that He has bestowed upon us, that He has called us when we were wretches in sin, and He's redeemed us and saved us through Christ, and He's even adopted us, brought us into His house. It's awe-inspiring. And it should overwhelm us and greatly humble us. And we receive that wonderful fatherly affection. That He's the giver of very good and perfect gift. And He gives us what we truly need. But this also can be challenging. Because even though we know God has our own good in mind, He treats us as His children. And sometimes we have to discipline our children. Hebrews 12 We read this, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so even in uh, the chasing that we receive from the Lord, we're affirmed that God loves us and cares for us as sons. If we never fell under conviction of the Spirit uh, because of our sin, if we never went through uh, different trials uh, that were related to our sin, well, then we could just assume God didn't care about us. But we see that through those chastenings, that God does care about us, and He wants us to come back to Him. He wants us to be uh, joined in that, that perfect unity and fellowship 
not only with Him, but with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so these truly are great benefits that we enjoy as those who are adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. Once enemies of God and slaves of sin, but now, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we're now adopted by God the Father and and are now considered His most beloved children. And of course it is all to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. A gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks for this glorious doctrine of adoption. And Lord, we have many things in our mind when we think of adoption, and we see how that applies to us, that You chose us and elected us before the foundation of the world, not based on our appearance, not based on anything good or evil that we would do, not even based on the fact that we would believe in You, But out of your own free grace, when we could do nothing, you chose us and predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. And that because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, that he, our our greater brother, secured for us this glorious salvation and that we now become joint heirs with him as we shall be with Him at His side in Your glorious presence for all eternity. And that is the glorious uh, inheritance that we look forward to. And we just praise You and thank You that You have given us this great comfort to know that we have a family. And some come from families that are troubled and and, uh, disrupted and dysfunctional. And yet, through your church, you provide a family because of a common faith in Christ Jesus. And we just praise you and thank you for that comforting gift as well. And Father, we just ask that you would help us to be mindful of these things and all that we've considered on this day. We again praise you and thank you for the Lord's Day. This one day in seven that you give to us to rest from our usual labors and to gather together with your people to worship you and to glorify your name. And we pray that as we go into the week that lies ahead, that we would remember these truths, that we would be strengthened and equipped to be faithful witnesses for Your glory, that we would stand as true beacons of light in this dark world of sin, and that those around us would even be prompted to ask for the reason of the hope that is in us, and that we would be ready to proclaim the gospel to them. And that there, through that witness, we pray, O oh Lord, you would glorify yourself by drawing many to yourself. Father, we just pray that you would use us, that you would use the mission, the ministry of our congregation here and, and other faithful congregations. We just pray, Father, that you would truly bless us and be with us as we seek to do all that we do for your glory and honor and praise. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.